talking about the church, and I'll be honest with you, it's, it's, been, it's difficult for me when you go back and you read and you study and you see a group of people that lived 2,000 years ago that are our you know, heritage in the faith, our ancestors in the faith. It's, it's hard for, for us to truly uh, in, in be encompassed and embraced with what they were going through, how they were living, what they were feeling, what they were thinking, because uh, that was an Eastern culture. That was an Eastern way of thinking. Uh, and, and, and we are 2,000 years not only removed from that, but we are a saturated Western culture. And, and so it's hard for us to grab hold of their mindsets and their, their, their drives and, and all those things that are going on. But I, I hope as we go along this that we can grab at least a little bit of something uh, along the way. But last week, I, I knew we'd only get one point, and we did indeed only get one point, but uh, that was salvation is an all-in, never-ending lifestyle and lifestyle change. And, and that is something that um, I think that, again, we forget that we don't just say a prayer, we don't just profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, we don't just acknowledge in our minds and our hearts that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, and, uh, and then get this magic ticket to heaven and then given freedom to go back to live for ourselves. As a matter of fact, Paul, or Paul and, and John and 1 John says uh, that, that's not the way that works. Uh, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer in bondage to sin to serve sin, but we are slaves. That's what it says. We're servants of Christ, and that's a willingness. It's not like, well, if I get saved, he's going to enslave me. No, no, no. It is, it is, there's no greater joy than being a servant of the Most High God. And so when we enter into that relationship, by His grace that He extends to us, because we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, we can't earn it, we enter into this relationship by His grace, all the work that He's done, he, he satisfied the debt on the cross, paying our sin debt, rose again from the grave, being the first fruits of the resurrection, ensuring and promising that we too will never uh, experience the victory and death because of what Jesus Christ uh, went through on our behalf and rose from the, dra- the grave. So, again, we, we have this life change when, that, when that, that, that exchange happens. We surrender, we trust Christ, we, we give all, we repent of our sins, repent of the living for the world, repent of living for ourselves, repent of living for idols, repent of living, and we turn to Christ. And he, we, we confess Him as our Lord, we, we, he, He's established as our God, he is our Savior, and from that point forward, it's an all-in, never-ending lifestyle. Again, we talked about if we say that we are, are in the, you know, if we say we're in Christ and we, we have no sin, we're lying. So it doesn't mean that we don't, along this journey of following Jesus Christ, stumble and fall into sin. Every single one of us do. Every single one of us do. But we don't live in it anymore, and that's exactly what First John tells us. We don't go back to serve the world. We don't go back to live in sin. We don't go back to live for the flesh and do our own thing and kind of live our lifestyle and put that Christian badge on us and say, hey, I know I'm going to heaven because I said that prayer. I know what Jesus did on the cross and I believe he rose from the grave, but I, you know, I just don't have time for the Lord. That's not how it works. It's not at all what Scripture says. Every instance and every evidence in Scripture shows us that salvation is an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. Everybody who goes back, everybody who turns, turns back, the Bible lumps them in with those who will face the judgment of God. Every instance. And that's not to say you can lose your salvation. It's not. But if you are truly saved, 
It is an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. I'm convinced 100% that there are, there are many, many people who may be Christians today that thought they got saved at one point in their life because they said the prayer. They knew they had a head knowledge just like the demons do. They, they went through the motions. They got in the baptismal waters. They did all those things, but they didn't get truly saved. And they show up for church week after week, and they, they, they have this head knowledge, and, and they have all the answers. They could tell someone how to be saved, but they have never had this conversion, this lifestyle change, to where it's an all-in, never-ending thing. And, and so they, they, they keep going through the motions. They keep st- trying to be religious and, and, and show up for church periodically, and they keep trying to do these things, but their life has never truly been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And much like those false prophets that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, I think there's going to be many, not only of those, but many in that day who had the head knowledge, that wrestled with it, that knew they didn't, they didn't surrender, they knew they didn't have a lifestyle change, and that day Jesus will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Saul had such a lifestyle change. It was evident. It was clear. He was living for uh, the the, the the Judaizers. He was living for uh, the religion of the Jews. And now that group that he led the efforts to destroy the Christians with is out to kill him. We saw that we ourselves, again, have that same lifestyle change. It never ends. And it's always evident to the world. People will tell. They'll know. They'll see our life. They'll, the Bible says they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They'll know that we are not living for ourselves. They know we're not living for sin. We're, they know we're not living for the world. And I have to ask you this morning, a- ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, do, do the people that are lost around me, my neighbors, the people I encounter at the store, the people I encounter at restaurants, the people that I encounter that are lost and not saved, do they see that I'm not living for sin? Do they see that I'm not living for myself? Do they see that I'm not living for the things of this world? Kid, is it clearly evident to those around me that I am living for Christ? That has to be answered by every single one of us. Because again, everything in Scripture tells us that's the case for the children of God. I don't care how sincere your thoughts are. I don't care how much knowledge you have. I don't care how long you've you've been going to church. None of that matters. What really matters at the end of it all is if your life has been transformed by the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what matters at the end of it. 1 John, we saw these truths, chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing, writing these things to you so that you may not sin, that you may not continue to sin and live in sin. He says, but if anyone does sin, we as, as the believers have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation, the payment, the, the, the satisfaction, the atonement for our sins. But not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. He paid the whole world's debt. And by this we know that we, we, we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Again, it's not that we keep his commandments so that we remain righteous or we keep his commandments so that we can become righteous. It's that when we are transformed, we keep his commandments. And he says, that's how we know we know him. Whosoever says, I know him, 
I, oh, I'm a Christian, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. We have seen, and even last week saw, and I'm touch on a little bit this morning, one of the great evidences that we are a Christian is that the love of God pours out of our lives. That's, that's the reality. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's what we are supposed to be doing. It proves that we are the followers of Christ. The world looks on and sees the love that we have, a unique love that we have as Christians, the unique love that we have not only for one another but for the Lord, and it becomes the evidence. By this we know that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, in which Jesus walked. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. You start loving those things in the world, you begin to make idols of them. And you shall have no other gods before me, is the command. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, it's the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing, along, uh, passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it's the last hour. This was written 2,000 years ago almost. And, it was, and as you have heard, the Antichrist has come. And so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Listen to what he says. Because if they had been of us, look at these next words, they would have continued with us. It's an all-in, never-ending lifestyle change. But they went out. Why? That it might be, become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, Christians, and you have all knowledge of these things. And I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Again, this is not talking about just the head knowledge. Again, the Bible says that the demons believe they know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus did. It's not about, well, I'm, that's not me. No, it's denying Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, Lord of all. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he's made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you've received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, the Holy Spirit, you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it, is taught, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then we skip to chapter 5. It says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Amen? We are seeing that more and more every day. 
The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Again, as the, the song was earlier, can we truly say this morning, I just want you. I don't need all my stuff. I don't need everything that I, I have made my life. I just want you. It doesn't mean that he removes all those things, but where is your heart? I just want you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time again. We thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've already done in this place and this reminder this morning that it is all about you. We, 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 we become self-righteous at times, God, and we, we say that it's all about you, and we say all we want is you, and we say all those things, and they all sound really, really good, but we live our lives oftentimes completely different from that. A lot of times, Lord, we confess this morning that we say all we want is you. A lot of times we really want all the things and we want everything our way and you lord help us this morning realize what true treasure is and that's you lord help us this morning to to receive what you have for us and if there's somebody here that has never entered into that all-in never-ending lifestyle a relationship with you i pray they would do that before they leave today we praise you for all that you do and we ask it all in jesus name amen so in our, our study, Saul's been in Damascus, but one thing uh, we know according to Scripture, I didn't touch on it last week because I knew we were going to get here this week, um, is that during this time, probably right after he received his strength and his sight uh, at Judas's house, Saul spends some time in the Arabian desert. And, and again, we don't know uh, exactly, is it, is it right before he goes? Is it right after? It's probably right after because he didn't have sight. Um, he, didn't con he didn't consult with anybody, the Bible says. Um, but so it's probably right after he got strength and right after he did those things that he, he went out and spent some time in the Arabian desert. After this, when he spends many days, what the Bible says, uh, we understand in this time in, in Arabia, the Arabian desert, and in Damascus, uh, not only was he stirring up the Jews that wanted to kill him, uh, but he was being prepared by the Lord for what, what work was ahead. Um, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 1 that that many days, that time that he spent there in, in the, that region, in the Arabian Desert and in, in, in uh, Damascus, was about three years. And so about three years goes by, and then he makes his first visit, visit back to Jerusalem as a Christian, and this is where we pick up in our text in Acts chapter 9. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid him, of him. They did not believe that he was a disciple. Again, if we, we study the other scriptures, it says that he didn't meet with anybody uh, except for Peter and the Lord's brother. And so um, we, we, we kind of get a better picture of that <laughs> at, at that point in time. Nobody else wanted to be around him. Uh, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. Uh, Saul had seen the Lord on the road. And he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Uh, I want you to no notice there, after Barnabas makes this effort, uh, to, to, to bring Saul into the fold, there's a unity there. The, the effort, the love, the, the, the defense of the body of Christ, there's unity. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. Those are the, the Greek-speaking Jews of the day. But they attempted to kill him. 
So as Saul uh, was, was brought into fellowship there with, with, uh, with those couple of disciples, he's going in and out with them, having unity, preaching boldly Jesus Christ, and he's disputing with these Jews that are Greek-speaking. That was the common language of the day. Uh, that was the language of commerce. And Jews, most of them probably sp uh, spoke Hebrew and Greek. Uh, but these were primarily Greek-speaking. So he's disputing with them. And they did the same exact thing as the Jews in Damascus did. They wanted to kill him, which is interesting. And these people are violent, right, about their religion. They, they, you don't like what, we don't like what you're saying. We're going to kill you. Um, <laughs> when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, again, we see in, 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 those, in that verse right there, when the brethren, again, who he was now unified with, they brought him to Caesarea, and then they sent him out to Tarsus. Now, Saul was from Tarsus, back to his hometown. Um, but what we see here is their action, their faith, their trust in the Lord. The work has to keep going, but also a love, a special love that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Remember, they were afraid of this man and now they are acting in faith to protect this man the bible says that perfect love cast out all fear they were acting in faith and love verse 31 look what happens as a result of these things the churches throughout all judea galilee and samaria that's that's israel basically had peace and were edified and walking not in the fear of man but in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplying. Again, I, I love that. Look, what, when they respond the right way, when their hearts get in the right place, when their minds and their actions get in the right place, fruit, health, growth, productivity, all result from the church. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to just go through motions and waste time on Sundays. I, I, I want, as a body of believers, to come together, I want us to be exhorted and edified and strengthened and united and have all the things that only the Holy Spirit can, can give to us so that when we leave these four walls, we go out into the community, we go out to the people that we're working around, and there's health and there's growth. There's, there's fruit for the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. You're, you're not here to just do the job in the world and that job is important because not only is it a way that God blesses you to help supply for your family and to even give to the eternal work of God and, and to missions and all those things but it's also a mission field it's a way a place that God has planted you around people that I may never meet never talk to other ministers other deacons other leaders other people who are bold in their witness we may never see or ever talk to but because you're a member of this church and God has given you this commission to be a part of his mission, you're going to encounter people and you are to be that witness. You are to be part of that, that healthy growth. And so the, the, the point this morning is this, when unity, faith, and love prevail in the church, so does peace and productivity. When unity, faith, and love. I asked the question last week, I even asked it last Sunday night. You, you can answer with your head. You can answer in a pious way. But God knows your heart and your life. Are you truly unified with the church? Are you, is, is the, the, the heart that Jesus has for his church, he, he bled and died 
to redeem us, his church. His heart is, is that we would be one, that we would be so unified that, that we would operate just like a physical body that's healthy operate, that can actually do things and be productive. Are you unified with the church? Are you unified in your life with the church? Now, I want to say this. It's not unity at the expense of doctrine. So we start preaching something that's not biblical and that challenge out there, are you unified with the church? I would be the first one to say no. <laughs> so it's not unity. Oh, well, we just love each other and we're trying to be unified. It doesn't matter what's being taught. It doesn't matter what's being preached. No, 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 no. It's not unity at the expense of doctrine. Matter of fact, doctrine unites us. If, if we really believe, if you're a child of God and you're sitting in this room and you really believe what Scripture says, then we should be so united. We should be so, there, there's nothing else in this world that unites a group of people like the truths, the eternal truths from the Word of God and the eternal God, the Holy Spirit, living in each individual Christian and living in this church. That's what Scripture says, that, that you as an individual and us as a church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it's also unity, not at the expense of condoning sin. We preach from this pulpit. We are, our stance, our position is against sin because God is against sin. Again, as I said, it doesn't mean that, that I'm sinless, that you are sinless, or anybody in this room gets to a point where we don't sin anymore. We strive for that. We strive to be holy as he is holy. But we don't condone sin. It's a rare bird. It truly is. And, and I don't even know, an odd duck, outcast, I don't know. But it's a rare bird that enjoys or embellishes or embraces, amen, disunity. It's a, it's a rare bird. If somebody who says, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me, my life has been transformed by the gospel, I am a child of God, I'm redeemed, I, I, I am walking with the Lord, yet that person enjoys, embellishes, or embraces disunity. See? He knows. That's just not the way it works. Nowhere in Scripture. There was only the people that were like that, people like Judas, and they didn't even know he was not unified until the last hour. It's rare that someone likes being disconnected and disenfranchised. I don't, really, I don't really care if I connect with anybody at that church. Miserable. And I have to be honest with you, as I said, every bit of scripture, I really question sincere saving faith in a person that embraces disunity. We're talking about the blood-bought, Holy Spirit-indwelt church of the living God. At no point in my life, I've, I've had, you know, I've, I've sprained ankles, I've, you know, hurt hands, wrists, arms, just about every body part. And, and at no point in, in, in my life, and maybe, so maybe you say, well, I've been there, but that was because of the pain. I said, I, I would just be better off without that. The truth is this, if you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there's a longing and there's a desire to have a sense of connectivity. 
That, that happens in families, earthly families. But it should be very vivid in the church that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This church, this local body, should experience a type of connectivity, a type of unity that is so unique that the world looks on and wonders, what is that? That's what they did in the first church. That's what they have done with the church all over. Again, what happens in Western culture is a little bit different. We get going about our lives. We have our own little family nucleus. We get going about doing all the things that, that make us happy and, 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 and li- making a living and all that kind of stuff. And then we just kind of throw in a little bit of time for the Lord. And in the beginning of the church, it was, it was reversed. It was the Lord was the center of it all. He was everything. And they did their jobs, and they took care of their families, but it was all about the Lord. Connectivity. An even deep, deeper word, unity. That This unique unity provides the fertile soil for purpose. And you know what? If you're not connected with the church, if you're not unified with the church, I promise you this. You're going to struggle to find your purpose in the church. I promise you that. If you go through a season where you feel like I'm not connected to the church, you're going to start saying, I don't even know why. I don't even know. Again, unity provides the fertile soil for purpose and productivity. You're not going to want to be a part of something you don't feel connected to. You're not going to try to give effort to something that you don't feel connected to. Again, both the individual and the church collectively. What happens when someone's not unified in the body of Christ? They will be or they will grow to be selfish, isolated, and disinterested in helping the mission. And what does that do? That only leads to frustrations, critical spirits, and ultimately damage in the body of Christ. If you're not unified, it will just be a matter of time where you start saying things like this, well, I don't, and I want, and I don't like, I, 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 I. And pretty soon, and, and maybe quickly, those criticisms will come to me, they'll go to ministries in the church, They'll go to the music. They'll go to the sound. They'll go to just, you start becoming critical about everything because you're disconnected. And the enemy has that open door to start doing damage in your life and relationships with people in the body that you're supposed to be connected with. Notice Barnabas fighting for the unity among the disciples. He knew these guys already. He had just known Saul. Now, again, three years goes by, but, but again, he, he has seen the evidence in this guy's life that the Holy Spirit has transformed him, and he is passionate about Jesus. And he could have gone to what was easy for him. He could have gone back to those disciples who he's known for a while, and, and, and as they were afraid, look, what are you doing? What are you trying to bring this traitor in here for? No, 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 no. He fights for unity among the disciples. And fear for them at the moment was the enemy of faith and unity in the body. And that's still the truth today. Fear is the enemy of faith and unity. You want to see something 
riddle a, a, a church and, and, and take the unity apart? Throw fear in. That's, again, that's all throughout Scripture. The Bible says that they were all afraid. They didn't believe he was a disciple. They rejected him at first because of fear. Now, I don't want to take away the fact that they had a responsibility to protect. They had every reason to suspect a, a fraud, right? They didn't have social media. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, Instagram and, and, and Facebook and Twitter to, to go and look at, at Saul's feed and all of his posts and, you know, with him in church and, and uh, him preaching, you know. Uh, you know, the Bible opened. They didn't, they didn't, they couldn't go, okay, see what's, okay, we see his life changed. They had no idea. They weren't getting daily emails about Saul's progress in, in his life. They, they didn't have any of those things. So when he shows up on the scene, they had every reason to suspect this guy's just trying to become an insider so he can destroy us. And Barnabas, Barnabas was the one that they needed and that the church needed to help secure unity. Now, it's interesting about this man, uh, Barnabas. We've already talked about him, and some of you already know this. Some of you don't know this, but his name was actually Joseph or Joseph. And uh, the, the disciples called him bar Nabus, Bar, son of encouragement in Acts chapter 4. He was that same man in the end of chapter 4 that, that had sold land and brought the money and laid it at the, apostle, the apostles' feet to make distribution as every man had need. Right before Acts chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira, we talked about them, show up and say, oh yeah, we sold some land too, you know. And had conspired about giving just part of it to the Lord, lying to the Holy Spirit. But this man, his influence as an encourager, in his sacrifice, in his giving, in, again, as this encouragement, encourager was a help to this early church. And his work as an encourager, his work as an influencer like this would serve as a launching pad for the church planning effort of the first church. And he would lead it. He was the leader in this regard. His influence and his example was what the Lord used to get the gospel spread across, uh, across Asia Minor. And that's what we've talked about before. Leadership is example and influence. We talked about recently uh, in, in, our, in our staff meeting this past week, I said, you, maybe you're here and you have nothing to do with children as far as serving them. Maybe your kids are already grown. Maybe your kids are out of the, the kids' ministry. Maybe you don't do anything to serve, have anything to do that's connected with our kids' ministry. I, I want to tell you this right now. That doesn't matter. You're an influence and an example to those kids. I, I can't tell you how many times that whether they had friends uh, of other, uh, you know, um, you know, families or, or whatever that were in ministry with them or whatever, that, that not only our girls as they were coming up and other kids, other people have told me the same exact thing, that they would ask and wonder where sometimes some adults were that had nothing to do with children's ministry. And he's, I see, it's true, he knows. But that, that, is, that is the importance. I've said that before. Every single one of us have influence. Every single one of us are, are leaders in a certain regard. So nobody knows me. I don't do anything. There's no reason any kid should be looking at me. Yes, there is. You are professing 
Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're an adult still showing up to the assembly of believers, and you're you're worshiping him, and you're listening to the word, and you're bringing your family or whatever you're doing, you're here, and those kids see. Later, we're going to learn that Barnabas was not on the right side of things, and I'm not talking about when he and Paul had a dispute, but we're going to see that he gets called out for being a hypocrite with Peter. Which is interesting, right? Because Barnabas is the one that's been influenced, the encourager. He's the example. He's the one that's doing that. But in reality, at this point in our study, Barnabas could have, he could have gone along with those that he knew, as I said. But we see him fight for unity. For the church of Jesus, for the church of Jesus Christ. And today, church, I, I, I want to tell, please hear, when we operate the same way, when we act like this, the story throughout history in the church, around the world, has always resulted in the same exact thing as it resulted then. Always. I, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to just go through motions. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to just say, well, our, our church looks like, no, I don't want, I want us to be a healthy, reproducing body of believers that brings glory to Jesus Christ alone in the fruit and it will not come if every member is not unified. Again, the church has experienced this type of fruit even under various monarchical uh, persecutions. Different kings and rulers throughout history have, have come down hard and persecuted and tried to destroy the church only to see great fruit come from that. Even in early America. Verse 31, again, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. What an amazing work of God. Did you get that? Churches had rest. The persecution didn't ultimately vanish at this point, but they were edified and walked in the fear of the Lord and the Holy Ghost multiplied them. I don't know about you, but that sounds exciting to me. And as I close this morning, I hope does that stir anything in you? Does it stir anything in you to see what God did through a group of believers that came together and said, you know what? We're going to do what God wants us to do. I hope it stirs something in you. It stirs something in me. But remember, it was obtained by men and women getting in line with God's purpose for their existence on earth. Not operating in the fear of man, not making gods or idols of themselves or their families or their jobs or their sports or their stuff or anything else in this world. They operated in the fear of God and God blessed them immeasurably. You may be a vessel like Saul, maybe a vessel like Ananias was who went to Saul, maybe a, a Barnabas. Or the disciples there in Jerusalem. But look again, it took all of them, every part, submitted hearts, taking action, obeying the will of the Lord. People knew they were following Christ and it impacted the world. I don't have time to read it, but if you weren't here Sunday night, Sunday night we went through John chapter 17. And it's the Lord's prayer for his people. 
Maybe you've read it before. I know I've preached through it before and, 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 and taught through it before. But I want to encourage you. Go back and read that. This is our Lord's heart and desire for us. Two things come to surface. Unity and love. What does Jesus want in his church? Unity and love. He prayed to the Father that it would be. And so this morning again, I ask you, are you unified with the church? Are you disconnected? Are you embracing disunity? What needs to change? Do you need to have a conversation? Do you need to come to this altar? Do you need to ask God to, to get your heart right? Do you need to forgive? Do you need to, what do you need to do? Don't let it linger. Let's be unified so that fruit abounds and Christ is glorified. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for all you do. Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning again that doesn't have a personal relationship with you and uh, even hearing this message this morning and hearing what you've done for them. Um, Lord, it, it made it evident that that's why they're not connected as they don't have that relationship with you. I pray that you'd move them this morning and before they leave this place that they would surrender their life to you. They would experience that life change. They would be born again. They would experience having all of their sin debt wiped away, every sin forgiven. They would have a fresh start. Lord, I pray that you would just move like that in anyone who's here like that. And I pray for those of us who have already surrendered our life to you, that you would stir our hearts together, Lord, that we would be unified. I can't imagine how it breaks your heart when you look down and you see churches that you bought with your blood that aren't together. When that is the whole purpose of the church, Lord, is to be together to bring glory to you. Lord, if there's a member in this church that's disconnected or disunified, Lord, I pray you would move them this morning and that would change before they leave as well. Lord, just move in this invitation. I pray that we'd respond rightly in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand. As he sings, I want to encourage you to come.